welcome to Value-Based Care Insights, brought to you by Illumina Health Partners, a national healthcare consulting firm focused on improving the strategic, financial, and operational performance of provider organizations. On this program, we will explore trends and share valuable insights on how health systems and medical groups can optimize their performance to meet the demands of this increasingly complex healthcare environment and shift to transform the delivery of care. Value-Based Care Insights is hosted by Daniel Marino, managing partner of Lumina Health Partners. Daniel has been in the industry for over three decades and specializes in shaping strategic initiatives for organizations in areas such as population health, clinical integration, physician alignment, information technology, and data analytics. For additional insights, visit luminahp.com and sign up for our newsletter. Dan, over to you. Welcome to Value-Based Care Insights. I'm your host, Daniel Marino. Over the last couple of weeks, there's been a lot of great information that has come out around the 1115 demonstration waiver. And if you're not familiar with it, it's a great program, great innovative demonstration projects that many states are involved in that really helps support the Medicaid program. The 1115 demonstration waiver refers to the section of the Social Security Act that allows the Secretary of Health and Human Services to approve experimental pilot or demonstration projects that really promote the objectives of the Medicaid program. But more importantly, it allows funding to providers. It allows providers to test new innovative approaches, if you will, to think about outcomes and, and really some, some great benefits to a lot of the Medicaid beneficiaries. Well, I'm excited to kind of dive into this a little bit deeper and particularly excited to have um, with us today somebody who's been on the program before, um, a great guest, Vanessa Guzman. Vanessa is the CEO of Smart Rise Health and a wealth of information when it comes to the 1115 waiver. So Vanessa, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Dan. Um, and I, I hope I can be a wealth of information to you all listening. This is all fairly new and we're still synthesizing all this, all, all these documentations and over 200 pages of of policies and, 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 and lots of words um, that we now need to get working on. So I really appreciate our time together today. Well, it's very exciting, and I and I, I definitely am excited to to kind of dive into it. So let's talk a little bit about what recently passed in New York. Um, you know, as part of the New York eleven fifteen waiver, somewhere in the range of six billion dollars was approved for providers. C- can you provide just a little bit of overview um, on, on some of the things that were approved within New York? Absolutely. So what was really approved was the New York. Uh, state equity reform. Um, you know, after 17, over 17 months of negotiations with CMS, we finally have a demonstration project that would start in April of this year through March of 2027, which really, you know, is it it, it spans um, uh, a wealth of work around improving uh, and closing inequities, but also improving and advancing health equity resources downstream to providers for investments, um, for knowledge, for workforce, and really to really put us all in sync across all across different stakeholders to be accountable for health equity. So we're really excited. Uh, it really it really synchronizes well with other programs within CMMI and the innovation 
projects, but also it creates a lot of alignment with accreditation products, with, with many in health equity initiatives that already New York has been pushing through and advancing oh. for so many years. Um, so all really exciting and, and we have a lot of work ahead. Well, and it, you know, as I, as I've looked into the to the program, and I've been following this for for quite some time as well, you know, there's a couple of really key components of the program that really caught my attention. I think one of those is the ability to focus on some of the social needs um, of Medicare beneficiaries. I think another one is the workforce investments yeah. um, to kind of invest in the expanded provider community, right? Those that are involved in some of the social needs um, or community health benefit providers and, and that sort of thing. The, the other one that you touched on a little bit is the establishment of what they're calling a health equity regional organization, HERO. So I'd love to talk a little bit about that. Health yeah. equity and, and certainly as it relates to diversity, equity and inclusion is something that is really key. CMMI is looking at it. Um, and we'll be incorporating that on, on some of their future value-based programs. So, you know, again, really exciting piece of that. Maybe we can start a little bit around some of the social needs and some of the social activities um, yeah. that you're seeing related to some of the benefits that would come out of this. Yeah, the biggest win out of the waiver is, is really securing reimbursement for social determinants of health and health-related, um, you know, resources um, that can be made available through community-based organizations, um, you know, societies and other uh, organizations that focus on social care. And mm -hmm. of course, the integration of primary care, behavioral um, health and other, and other priorities like children's health. As we know, about half the population in Medicaid um, in New York is, is their children. So in the future, New York State does hope to um, submit an amendment to also include continuous enrollment for sure. children. Uh, down the line. But I think what's what's really the highlight when we're talking about uh, health-related social needs, we're really referring to entities that provide these type of services, right? Mm -hmm. We're talking about um, making sure that they're integrated, that you're building partnerships with the community um, from transportation to nutrition, uh, access to healthier foods, mental health, and other resources that are being available. Um, but also within that, there's other there, there we're looking at different levels of reimbursement. That would be considered like a level uh, a level two, but mm -hmm. a level one could be starting with screening, right? Yeah. SDOA screening as we know it. And then uh, a level three could be more uh, providing specific services for those that are chronically ill, that are have reoccurring events of the hospital or or the ED, right? Those with higher mm -hmm. risk of other chronic conditions. So it, right. it does follow the traditional order of operations that we've been we've been promoting for for many right. years now. But the nice thing with that is it seems like it's starting to connect the dots, right? So you have sure. different areas which you know in the past have been probably pretty isolated in and of itself and now we're starting to create you know connect these if you will so so providers who would have access to this level of funding or maybe be able to participate do you need to be designated as an fqhc as a community-based provider i would assume you have to have some level of of you know serving the medicaid population yeah, for sure. So all of the above, right? So it is aiming for providers, hospitals, hospital systems, IPAs, ACOs, right? 
um, those who provide uh, primarily within the delivery care um, within New York. However, in order to access the um, the Medicaid hospital global budget, sure. the criteria is a little bit different there, right? Now we're talking about um, organizations that serve a Medicaid population or uninsured of about 45% to be specific. Yeah. Um, that is the, the key number. Um, and that have that are nonprofit or organizations uh, and have relied on subsidies um, from the state for the past two, over the past two years. And it includes all boroughs, in, excluding Manhattan, which is important to know. Um, and, and but it includes Westchester. So that, that is generally the the overarching criteria right. to access the global budget piece, which, again, as 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 you all may know, is a. It, it serves is about a third of where the funding is going um, mm -hmm. for New York State. Something to know. Right, right, right. So, you know, it's really those disproportionate hospitals, right? The dish yep. hospitals who would be participating if you're an entity. Otherwise, it has to be an FQHC or some type of a community-based organization, Absolutely. which makes sense because, I mean, obviously, that's where the funding is really needed. There's a lot of you know, free care, if you will, that's been given out to to Medicaid and the Medicaid population and just really the underserved communities. Absolutely. It's being very targeted and intentional right. in the topics that it would like to impact over the next three to four years. So, you know, there's 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 a lot of discussions around health equity and, and in particular around diversity, equity and inclusion. Any thoughts on how the waiver is going to address that on, on how we're going to create a little bit more, say, balance in some of the care that we're delivering or better integrate with some of the social aspects of, of the population or of the communities? I think um, existing strategies that aim to understand individuals in the workforce, their needs, their career pathways, especially mm -hmm. those with technical titles or nursing titles yeah. or frontline staff, right? Things that are ready, very much promoting the value of all in whoever serves the community and, and individuals. I think that still very much applies. I think regardless of the terminology that we use, they're not very explicit. The waiver is not explicit with calling that out, but it right. still uses the essence of how do we value our workforce and invest in you know, things like uh, loan repayments, right? To ease education um, and, and and provide financial assistance for, for many of those holding or aiming to hold some of these degrees. Well, and, and I know it's I know it's new and, and maybe this is just unique to New York, although I would think it would be replicated in, in, in other states and we could talk about that in a few minutes, but the, it, it's made reference in, in the New York 1115 waiver, it's made reference to the health equity regional organization. Yes. So it, it seems to me that, you know, it's it's almost like a, not a separate entity, but a coalition, if you will, of how we want to address possibly health equity for individual communities. Yeah. Any thoughts on that or or kind of how that would expand? Yeah. So as, as by definition, the heroes, which is ironic, the use of terminology here, it does feel like a superhero because unlike other previous waivers um, in New York, um, it, it or even the initial proposal, it it really only refers to a single entity. Mm -hmm. um, and we've we've learned in the past, and this waiver does not include budget 
for like consultants and sure. other supporting structures, which, which we're very much used to. But the single entity essentially would be responsible for the overall design of the framework from data collection. They'll be receiving data from uh, multiple sources and then determining what resources and basically like how to do it. How to do uh, it. How, right. how the playbook, if you will. The playbook, right. exactly, to, to all the organizations that are participating are impacted. So I see them really as setting accountability um, for equity integration, but also really important providing guidance on how do you align this with every other initiative, especially those who are involved in CMMI innovation models like ACO Reach, um, like AHEAD, um, mm -hmm. like Guide for Dementia yep. Patients, right? Like I could keep going and going. Uh, the NCQA accreditations, joint commission accreditations. So they, they have a lot of work ahead. And I think, you know, things that folks can start doing now to prepare for to, for that interaction, there aren't immediate steps necessarily because we still need guidance on what exactly they want us, right. the collective what us to do. do. And how it's going to be measured and everything else. For, and everything else. But I think we could start creating governance, mm -hmm. right? In our individual organizations to understand how are we going to mobilize, synthesize, all this information that's going to come soon our way. And are we eligible for, you know, whether it's the, the global budget, are we eligible as a community-based organization? Um, you know, what criteria do we, or criteria do we need mm -hmm. um, to be able to be part of all of this? I think that's due diligence that can start right now, yeah. um, even though a lot of the how-to has not yet been trying defined. to be worked out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you're just tuning in, I'm Daniel Marino, and you're listening to Value-Based Care Insights. I am here today with Vanessa Guzman, and we are talking about the New York 1115 waiver impact on Medicaid program as a model for other states. So, so Vanessa, when, when we're looking at what's occurring in New York, and I know that there's been a number of, of 1115 waivers that programs that are in other states, I think there's some mm -hmm. in the range of 64, 65 on that, that are, that are out there. Um, how much do, of this becomes a model for the other states as we start to think about replicating maybe the HERO program or, or, or different uh, for other areas? Um, or is this, you know, aligned with what's occurring with other states and it's just all going to be taken together to determine how we become, you know, we build it into some further reimbursement or structure around serving right. the Medicaid population? Yeah, no, I think it it will it will eventually serve as a model. I think much to be learned. I think, mm -hmm. but it, it, you know, New York State has emphasized even in, on its waiver that it has taken all lessons learned, right, from yeah. from prior waivers, including its own, right, like DISRIP um, and and other programs that have been facilitated. Um, data and time will tell, of course, yes. based on outcomes that we see. Uh, I think the cool thing about New York State is is that. You know, within within New York State, there's pocket of a lot of diversity, pocket of a lot of populations across the map that really, uh, from my perspective, reflect the rest of the country to some extent, yes, right? It, it is a true melting pot in specific areas, but it's also very rural and urban in other yes. areas. So there's a lot um, that that can be reflected and drawn from the data that's collected, but also. Yeah, I'd be interested in seeing how how does New York State align with these different programs, given its history and participation and advocacy in health equity, before it was named health equity by the rest of the country, right? Like they've been focusing on it for a very long time. So how how can that influence future models and waivers? I think um, 
sure. is to be determined for sure. Yeah, no, and I and I agree. And and, and you know, New York certainly is a I think could be a microcosm for the rest of, of the country. But when you think about then how to adapt some of this to say the rural health setting or other uh, metropolitan areas, um, you know, I, I think that that alignment is going to be important. When you think about the funding, let's talk about that for a second. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's quite a bit of dollars that are going to be, you know, yes. I guess set aside for this in 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 New York. And you know, again, I think the devil's in the details, right? As we think about what the participation is and how the funds become available, um, can you talk a little bit about how some of the funds may be prioritized? Yeah, sure. So uh, most of the funds, about 50% of the funds are going toward the actual SDOH or health related social needs, right? Aspect of it, growing that infrastructure from screening to social services, uh, oh, communication, data. It's really because we're, what we're talking about, how do we address the 80-20? And, and, and really, this is the 20, right? Like, yes, like is. this this is the topic that really should factor or, or be attributed to the successes or, or future lessons as we continue. Um, about a third of uh, the rest of the funds is toward global budget. So, you know, it's a, we have mixed, mixed feelings over global budget and how it's used, but obviously, depending on who qualifies and who's eligible for that, mm -hmm. we, will, we will test the waters to determine how that influences um, those uh, organizations that serve those in, in, with the greatest need. But I think the bottom line is that now we're drawing from federal funds, state funds, and really creating some structure and accountability that perhaps did not exist or will be reinforced by the program. Um, and then about 10% or so is dedicated to the workforce yeah. um, component of it, which is great because the workforce is fundamental to the successes of absolutely of how we see and support patient care. I mean, well, um, and that's I, where that is really where the need is. I, I mean, I remember yes. a couple of years back, I worked with a community-based organization and I tell you, they did God's work. They were fantastic yes. in terms of the support. And, but they often said, if we only had a few more resources that we can invest in, we can even just make, you know, five times more of a, of a difference. And I think to be able to have that level of funding to invest in social workers, to invest in folks with dietary education, right? right? To invest in programs that support, say, education around diabetes or high blood pressure. Boy, those that type of, of education and influence could really make a big difference. It's, it's It would be huge. And, and let's not forget navigation. All these, oh, yes. these roles that you mentioned have such a key influence in the ability for a patient to feel supported but also navigating them to the resources that these programs and waivers are creating for them. As you know, yep. based on literacy rates, whether they're non-English speaking or not, age, all of those factors play a role in determining the accessibility that one may have in obtaining those resources, even if they're right in front of our faces. So these are key roles that needs to be part of this program to be successful. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. How about investment in infrastructure? You know, many of uh, FQHCs, community health centers and so forth, their funding is limited, right? But yes. the resources is re are really key. So when I think about resources, I think about, you know, the data and the analytics maybe around social yes. determinant data. I think about 
care management and the ability to be able to understand what's occurring with the population. I think about patient navigation and, and outreach, those level right. of you know, infrastructure. Where does that fit into some of the funding around the 1115 activities? That would fall certainly uh, around the um, the hero part of it is the hero infrastructure, right? Because there'll mm. be, yep. that's about 2% of the funds will be going there to designating that accountability structure that's needed to really uh, provide oversight in the program. So that's oversight and governance in my head. Um, and then the rest of the funding from like, as you mentioned, population health, quality, data, aggregation, all of those would fall in in the the health related social needs bucket because right. that's really infrastructure to be able to support most of that and then it's sprinkled across workforce because again all these roles may be providing right. services that are needed to support those services that right and are highlighted the or the re the workforce right I mean without going to be really limited absolutely and and ideally the you know the goal is. And for New York, it has been the goal for many years is that the community um, and the patient population is very much reflect reflected in the workforce, right? Mm -hmm. um, because that's yeah. really where we see connection, engagement, and long-term long sustainability and, and positive outcomes of many of these programs that will be created via, via the waiver. Yeah, boy, that's great. So last question that I have is, is really around the alignment with CMMI. Um, you know, the Medicaid reimbursement and, and a lot of the activities that occur are really on a state-by-state -state basis. And even some of the states have created, you know, their own Medicaid ACOs and, and so forth. In some cases, it's created a little bit of a contradiction with the type of, of reimbursement that CMMI or CMS has done as part of the ACOs. Any thoughts in terms of how this would align? I would assume it would be very performance-based, very outcomes-based, but do you see that alignment occurring with CMMI as we think about how to come up with more of a reimbursement structure? That's going to be tricky. I think mm -hmm. I think there's work there. I don't have a direct answer yet on the how, because nor does CMS. And yeah, they're figuring State. it out. <laughs> they're, they're right. They're figuring it out. I, you know, my um, my experience in working with New York State and, and DOH is that uh, requires stakeholder engagement and conversations, which is part of the hero's role, um, yeah. which is great because those conversations need to occur. I remember back in the day when um, several of my organizations, including one which I was employed in, uh, participated in like the Next Generation ACO program. We mm -hmm. were trying to figure out how does that fit into the all payer program for New York State. And we had to give very explicit feedback to DOH on, we shouldn't be submitting two no. reports. It's the same data, right? Like things right. like that. And it has to and be aligned, those, it has to be coordinated. It has to be coordinated. We shouldn't be submitting, you know, data to pairs and like three different entity, including CMS. So so that's the level of feedback that needs to kind of roll yeah. up and, and down. Flush down. Yeah. It, and it's it, complicated. It, it really is. I mean, you think about the funding sources, how things begin to track and making sure that everything is aligned. It, you know, it's going to take a while to figure that out, but my hope is that it does come together. I think, yeah, absolutely. It will come together. And an immediate next step that organizations can start thinking about is, you know, if if, if you participate in uh, any form of ACO or CMI program, think of the benefit enhancements that you're selecting for that for sure. that program, because that should align with the services or the expansion of services um, that per perhaps are being provided through the waiver. 
um, we would think about, you know, how are you collecting data for quality and health equity today? How are you using Z codes mm -hmm. and collecting the Z codes, right? Like, um, and, and, and ultimately, how are you screening for, for social determinants yeah. of health? All of those things are fundamental mm -hmm. and can be done now to create your own alignment while the states and the federal government yeah. figure well, things out. And it's, what, what's really exciting to me about this is it brings together closer primary care and behavioral health services. And yes. as you said, there's a lot of things that providers could really begin to do now in preparation for that, which yes. when it does become time to really launch, I think they're in a really great position. Well, Vanessa, so. this has been fantastic. Uh, just and, and we just scratched the surface, right? There's just <laughs> so much information here, I'm sure. Um, if if any of our listeners are interested in, in hearing more about this, um, any thoughts? What can you share? Um, we uh, at Smart Earth Health, we're about to launch a big um, campaign educating folks on what you should be doing now, building readiness. So be on the lookout for LinkedIn. We are on LinkedIn and we'll be posting more information there. Um, visit our website um, uh, as well, www.smartrisehealth.com, or you can email me directly and I'll direct you to the right resources. And then there's some resources from the Kaiser Family Foundation that tracks uh, across the country, you know, the waivers that have been approved or are pending, many of which we can share um, with yeah. you. So uh, just just raise your hand and ask and, and we'll share um, updates as, as we get them. Well, and there's more and more information coming out all the time. We will do our best as well, Vanessa, to attach a couple of the links on the liner notes. But again, I would encourage our listeners to reach out to Vanessa um, through her website and to connect to to learn a little bit more. It's it's a great program. You know, there's there's always you know in healthcare, there's always a number of challenges that come out and some things we got to scratch our head around. With, you know, asking or really what what the intent is. This, I think, is a good one. I'm really excited to see where this is going to go. And I think this holds a tremendous amount of benefit for our Medicare, uh, or I'm sorry, Medicaid beneficiaries, particularly in the New York area, but across the country. I, I, I really believe so. In the next three to four years um, should reflect a demonstration of a lot of years and dedication uh, of many of us who have poured our hearts and soul into, yeah. into this work. So, Dan, thank you so much for having me again. Yeah, well, my pleasure. And as you're working with some organizations, maybe down the road, love to have you back and and even maybe one of your, you know, your client organizations Absolutely. to kind of talk about what the results have been. Boy, I'd love to to dive into that a little bit. So we'll we'll have Absolutely. to plan for it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, thank you again, Vanessa. This has been wonderful as always. And I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. Until the next insight, I am Daniel Marino, bringing you 30 minutes of value to your day. Take care. Are you at a crossroad with value-based care? Do you need to chart a future strategy or improve your organizational performance? Visit us at luminahp.com to learn more about our consulting services and leadership development programs. Also, you can sign up for our newsletter on our website and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. For more information about value-based care insights, visit the program's page on healthcareradionow.com or luminahp.com. Join the conversation using our hashtag VBC Insights. We are Lumina Health Partners. Thank you for joining us today. Until the next value-based care insight, stay well.